0: High Heart, A Lucid Tale of Love and Discovery, John Selby I envision the film version of High Heart being shot in six hour-long episodes. As you now read or listen to this story, please imagine that the visuals include an expansive edge of computer animation laced with subtle mythic overtones. Enjoy the ride. I met this woman the other night, yes I did. She walked up to me in broad moonlight, yes she did, and she said, Didn't I know you in another life? Seems to me that I was once your wife. I held her stare an awful long time. I looked into hers, she looked into mine. Once a warrior, always a warrior, she said. I can tell that you have never been dead. Won't you come with me? I need you to come with me. Won't you come with me now? Lyrics by Jack Hadley From Mind Dance Chapter 1 Before you touch me, she said, Perhaps you might like to tell me something about your grandfather. We'd been talking on her sofa for a while, And then we'd fallen quiet. Her eyes were now closed— and I'd just then been blocking a pleasurable impulse to move my hand down and gently touch the softest of her neck, where her hair had fallen aside and exposed smooth tan-colored skin. This seemingly tranquil situation was unfolding less than two hours after I'd caught the same woman performing a nervy heist at the Marin Museum of Natural History. Now, just a few minutes ago, She'd walked into the living room after finishing in the kitchen, asked Alexa to dim the lights and lock the doors. Then she'd proceeded without another word to make a graceful move in her long skirt, reclining on the sofa with her head resting in my lap. Some music, perhaps, she'd asked? Sure, I said. Your choice. Alexa, play something quiet from my list. Her eyes had closed. I watched her breathing slowing down and felt myself just effortlessly floating. I'd had only two, maybe three glasses of wine and nothing at all to smoke with her. A simple finger picked acoustic guitar started playing on hidden speakers and a female voice came in soft but strong. I need to breathe the ocean air. Feel the wind blowing through my hair, the sweet taste of freedom on my tongue. I can fly into worlds that no one sees. Nothing they could ever say could take my spark away. When the song came to an end, Mahalena spoke with her eyes still closed. Alexa, enough music for now. And then she'd ask me about Gramps. Well, there's my granddad on my father's side with the ranch down in Ohio. I found myself telling her without any forethought. And yeah, about three months after he died, just after I turned eleven, late one night I was lying in bed, ready to drift off, and then suddenly, this might sound weird, I started to feel something happening down in the soles of my feet like someone was down there, trying to push right up into me. I paused. Why was I telling her all this? Please, go on, she said softly in her slight accent, eyes still closed. Well, yeah, that feeling of being invaded scared me. But then something inside me softened and opened up because I realized it was just Gramps wanting to come in, and so yeah, he's been with me ever since. I dropped into mute mode. She still had her eyes closed, and in that resonant quiet of her living room, I took the secret liberty of again watching her breasts rising and falling in perfect unison. As I started breathing along with her, I could feel a slight parallel upsurge down in my Eros zones, and focusing there caused my eyes to glance over to the mantle above the quietly blazing fireplace. I found myself gazing again at that stolen jade art piece that had brought this mystery woman into my life a few intense hours ago. Gramps, I told her, pulling my eyes away from the ancient Mayan erection. His old-time spirit, it's still alive inside me. Maybe it sounds a bit crazy, but that's how it is. No, not crazy, she said. The ancestors continue in realms beyond our senses. My ex, I told her, was afraid I was possessed, but it's just the opposite. Her lips smiled and her eyes opened. I also have my teacher, my grandmother, she said, down at the lake. "'I took that for her,' she said, nodding toward the jade-carving. "'Hm,' I said, "'Gramps hasn't ever had me steal anything.' "'Please,' she reacted, "'I am no thief. "'There are essential reasons for what you happened to catch me doing at the museum.' "'I didn't mean to accuse you. "'Oh, and there's one other thing. "'Gramps had a saying, a song, actually.' that he'd whistle and hum and sometimes sing in his Caruso tenor. It's real simple. I'm just a putt-putt-puttin' along, singin' nobody my song. knowin' I can do no wrong. I'm just a putt-putt-puttin' along. While I was busy singing her Gramps' tune, my mind shifted back a few hours to when I'd been singing that same tune to myself. I'd just given my last lecture at Berkeley, before vacation, and down in the psych department parking lot, I'd taken a legal mini-puff or two of my uncle's very best bud. I sat there alone for maybe twenty minutes or so, letting all the musty academic dust blow away, and then I'd roared onto the freeway, up and round the bay, headed to Marin, just to putt-putt-puttin' along in my souped-up camper. About an hour later, I was cruising down Ross Avenue and into the crowded Marine Museum parking lot. Sliding to a splashy stop, I zipped up my leather jacket and took off running through the downpour toward the museum's slippery marble steps. The lobby clock showed 4.15, but already the place was jam-packed with curious locals lured here by morning TV coverage, jabbering about the slightly scandalous sculpture of ancient Mayan genitals that was temporarily on display over here in Marin. I looked around at several passing faces in the crowd, then grabbed a brochure. Ah, look at that! The jade piece did, in fact, possess an obvious organic similarity to God's own celestial handwork. I quickly read how the carving had been discovered during the winter of 1939, down about 20 feet in the crystal clear water of Highland Guatemala's Lago A deep-diving native kid had sold it to two Scottish archaeologists who were busy absconding with Mayan artifacts. Those two European guys had also absconded with eleven other ancient Mayan ceremonial carvings before being recalled home. They probably thought they'd be famous bringing home such obviously powerful relics of long-lost, phallus-obsessed Mayan priests. But because of various utterly distracting wartime confusions, all twelve of those sacred pieces had been impounded down in a basement and forgotten for many decades until a fire in a London storehouse provoked the rediscovery. The museum air was soggy with the scent of overly ripe perfume, sharpened with the crisp animal hint of wet wool. As I finished reading the brochure, I got the curious feeling that someone was staring intently at me, and yep, I looked up and found the vacant stone eyes of a Mayan statue staring down at me from up high in the lobby balcony. The impact was especially acute, because I'd traveled down to Guatemala as a high school exchange student, and ever since had been attracted to any and all Mayan overtones. I felt a whole body rush of teen remembrances from that trip, grabbing at my heart and gut, and also down further. Feeling hot, I unzipped my uncle's old flight jacket, and glancing around the room, I felt slightly dizzy, not wanting to encounter anyone I might know. Several women met my eyes with various masked intentions, and, just then, a potent urge hit me for no reason at all. I felt the compulsion to get myself back down to Guatemala Just jump a flight tomorrow to that amazingly beautiful highland lake where the jade phallus had originally come from, that same lake I'd once visited with my Guatemala girlfriend fifteen years ago. Popping back into the present, but still yearning for the past, I watched blurred smears of muted colors move vaguely before my eyes. For a moment I think I totally zoned out, Then I felt my attention snap almost audibly back to my body, my balance, my breathing and the solid feeling of the floor under my hiking boots. My eyes, meanwhile, operating all on their own, aimed my gaze over to the left with zero intent, and gently came to rest on a particular young woman sitting alone on a sofa in the far corner. She wasn't doing anything at all right then. She was just simply sitting there, calmly unmoving, looking right back into my eyes. Then people between us moved, and she disappeared from view, just as quickly as she'd appeared. Everyone was moving on into the display room, so I started walking with the flow. But then the sea of bodies parted, and there she was again, sitting quietly with her eyes now closed. She was wearing normal blouse and slacks, but to me she looked qualitatively different from the other people in the room, her long dark hair loose around her shoulders. She opened her eyes and turned her head, as if sensing my gaze on her. She broke the frozen moment with a slight smile. No one else noticed what was going on, but I felt struck to the quick. Her smile had shifted into the welcome of an intimate friend. She seemed so intensely familiar. Maybe she was in one of my classes. I had over a hundred students this last semester. But surely I'd recognize this particular woman. She was about my age, a bit younger than thirty, no makeup, slender, wearing dark blue pants and a white blouse that slightly revealed the natural, graceful curves of her body. She crossed her legs cocked her head, and lost the smile as she looked intently at me. The impact was unexpectedly strong. More people were coming into the museum, and again the visual corridor closed between us. I started to push impulsively toward her, not wanting to lose contact, but bodies banged into me, moving the other direction, and forced to surrender to the movement of the small crowd. I walked on into the inner display room. My whole body was still resonating with the impact of that woman's presence in the lobby. Ever since my wife had left for Santa Fe five months ago, I had been running mostly on solo. This was the first time recently that someone had caught my eye like that. My eyes spied the solitary jade carving. The blatant ceremonially erect phallus was positioned against a far wall, surrounded by about thirty people and a fat armed guard. Perched almost nobly on its velvet stand, the piece was rotating slowly with three penetrating spotlights highlighting its various organic curves. Reflexively, I almost laughed out loud. I mean, here was this blatant stone hard-on, right out in public view, being reverently ooed and awed over by half a dozen tense-lipped American matrons, and several blushing junior high girls. A red cord kept observers a few feet back, so that they'd not be tempted to reach out and touch. Well, if I pushed against that cord, I could probably reach the piece, but the guard would be after me immediately." my mind shifted back to the woman in the lobby. Then a space opened so I could step forward and let my eyes take in the relic close up. It was definitely a creative masterpiece, much more anatomically correct than the other pieces. How had ancient Mayans carved something so lifelike without modern-day tools? My mom was certain they had power tools borrowed through some alien wormhole exchange. My dad had been quite certain that all such theories were pure poppycock. I stood staring at the slowly rotating statue, and an inner image flashed in my mind, of this carving being held up high to the sun by some naked native guy painted all over in cobalt blue. And right then, a possessive urge came over me to reach out and touch the thing, Then the impulse was gone, and I was just standing there, staring blankly at the slowly turning display. Someone beside me spoke up in a low, resonant female voice. Tradition tells us, she was saying close to my left side, how chronic, unacceptable priestly behavior caused the volcanoes to blow their tops. My great grandmother told me the story she'd heard from her ancestors that lava spewed to the high heavens and set them on fire, then crashed down over town and lake. Everything was lost, except, as fate would have it, this particular jade piece. I turned my head in the direction of the slightly foreign accent and found that same woman I'd gazed upon in the lobby. Standing now right next to me, She'd pulled her long, dark hair back tightly into a ponytail. She was a few inches shorter than my six feet, lightweight and looking like she could break into a run with no effort at all. And, curiously, the color of her eyes seemed to be the same deep blue-green teal as the jade carving. Appearing calm, but somehow on high alert, she glanced around the room. "'So tell me,' I said.' rotely expressing what I'd been thinking just moments before. You seem to have the inside story. Was that carving ever part of a Mayan ceremony? Were there actual female victims involved? My question generated a negative impact on her expression. You are asking, she retorted, at least from your own cultural perspective, a rather pornographic question. Again she turned away, looking over at the guard who was talking with some loud tourists. When she looked back, her expression had become quite serious. I will tell you this, she said very quietly. Whenever you perceive anyone as a helpless victim, you disrupt the deeper integrity of that person. She looked down, glanced at her watch, and then looked around the room as if urgently expecting someone. "'So,' I asked, "'you're originally from Guatemala?' Her expression softened. I was born and raised on Lago Atitlan, across the lake in Santiago. Since then I have been—how do you say it—around. A loud commotion jolted the hush of the display room. Along with everyone else, I looked reflexively over to where a young woman, about fifteen feet away by the entry— was staggering around strangely, gasping and gurgling, having some kind of medical problem, perhaps an epileptic fit. The room became deathly quiet as she gagged for air. The guard made a move toward her, but too late. Her body went into a spasm that sent her collapsing down hard onto the floor. The short dress she was wearing went flying up, revealing yellow underwear, People gaped and stepped back as she continued writhing on the floor. I turned my head back to the jade piece and couldn't quite believe what I saw. The Guatemalan woman was pushing against the red cord beside the phallic display. Her left hand reached into her purse and emerged with what seemed to be an identical duplicate of the jade carving. Without hesitation, her right hand went directly for the original on the pedestal and lifted it up into the air just as her left hand set the replacement on the pedestal. It wasn't an original move. I could vaguely remember something similar in a Jewelry Heist movie, and of course this small local museum would have minimal touch-sensitive security. Nevertheless, she'd performed her act deftly, Slipping the stolen piece into her purse, she looked around the room quickly to make sure no one had seen what she'd done, and caught me staring right at her. Please, stay calm, she whispered. Come outside with me, and I will explain. The woman on the floor was beginning to regain some semblance of control, with the distracted guard trying to pull her dress down over her exposed underwear. Suddenly, I put two and two together. Outside, she walked fast to a beat-up Triumph sports car parked at the curb on Ross Avenue. "'Please,' she said very quietly, still holding my hand and glancing around uncomfortably. "'We need to depart immediately.' "'And if I refuse?' I ventured. Her full lips softened slightly. "'What I've done is not what you think. I'll explain, but later.' She drove fast one hand on the wheel while the other worked to loosen her hair. For a few blocks, neither of us spoke. I was busy running the situation through my mind, remembering fieldwork with the Huicholi Indians, where I had witnessed ongoing native outrage over the refusal of museums to return sacred tribal objects to their rightful owners. This woman's thieving subterfuge had definitely moved outrage into a specific resolution. I was about to say something to that effect, but she reached to touch her phone on its magnet, and music started playing, a sweet but also tough female voice, singing pungent lyrics as we roared off. Do what you have to do. Say what you have to say. Feel your heart and trust your soul. They know the way. Follow what feels good, those subtle little clues. Listen to your belly that is always speaking to you. There's a waterfall of wisdom at your fingertips, if you would only reach a little further in. Every breath you breathe is anchored in a new vibration, a new way to be, and it's up to you to decide. Stop waiting for someone to give you permission. Only you can make the decision. She took a left turn onto a curvy residential road that followed some long-lost ancient Indian trail up Mount Tam. This was one of my own old childhood stomping grounds. If you went right instead of left at the T, in ten minutes you'd drive up past my mother's parents' cottage. Handling the turns deftly, she drove up into the sedate, posh part of town overlooking the San Anselmo Valley. After a few twists and turns, we came to a stop in front of a small ramshackle cottage with a nicely overgrown yard, one of those early, humble weekend-retreat constructions, still well-preserved here and there, midst the big-money estates that abound this high up the mountain. She turned off the engine. Silence settled down upon both of us. "'Your home?' I asked. "'My cousins,' she answered.' She is gone, and I am babysitting her cats. A few big splatters, indicating imminent rain, ran in rivulets down the window screen. I thought of my car, parked in the museum parking lot, and for the first time found myself wondering just how far I'd go along with this woman, before ducking off her wave. I must say, I told her, that was a tight move you made at the museum. You do that kind of thing often?" "'Are you, perhaps,' she responded, feeling tempted to tell the police? "'Not if the piece originally belonged to your people, and you're returning it to them.' "'Bueno, then I will not have to shoot you,' she replied with at least a slight trace of humor. A sudden heavy downpour hit the windshield, pounding tin-drum loud on the car's roof. She made a quick, knotty move with her head in the direction of the cottage, grabbed her purse, jumped out of the car, and went running around the hood and across the lawn toward the tree-shadowed, rain-pestered house. She had a naturally swaying gait that was impossible for me to ignore as I followed her across the wet grass to the front porch.